Hi friends, welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris Taylor, and I'm glad you're listening in today. If this is your first time listening, I'd love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. We're in week three of our love handle series today. We aren't talking about the anatomical love handles you might have from carrying a few extra pounds. We're talking about how love handles the different aspects of our wedding vows. Today, we're looking at our promise to love and to cherish our spouse. What's the difference in loving and cherishing someone? And how do you do it? To give us a practical exploration of the art of cherishing, here's our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Father, we know that you're in the room in a very special way. And I know that you're going to nudge a lot of people here today, and I pray that all of us will be receptive to whatever you have to tell us. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, listen. I still do love my truck. One of the best, maybe probably the best vehicle I've ever owned, 2008 Honda Ridgeline. I bought it new, and over the past 12 years or so, I put over 190,000 miles on it. Still want a couple more years out of it. But the truth is, I treat it differently now than I did back then. It was new. So, you need a ride? Hop in, I'll take you, all right? I really acted like I had a servant heart, but I just wanted to show off my truck. I treated it with such tenderness. I would avoid the potholes so meticulously. I would take care of it. When that light came on telling me that an oil change was due, I'd pull over right there on the interstate and get it done. (laughs) Got dirty, I'd wash it, wash it, vacuum it, wax it, polish it. I cherished my truck. Cherished my new golf clubs when I brought them. Made them pipe ping, I3 cavity back, oversized irons, Callaway Heavenwood hybrids. I know how to cherish. But why is it? Why is it that so much, we're so much better at cherishing things than we are people? Ever watch a girl show off her engagement ring? It's cute, isn't it? Wouldn't it be something if 10 years later she was showing off her husband like that? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Now, I'm going to steal most of my big ideas this morning from Gary Thomas. He's written some great books on marriage, on worship, on Christian living. He opens his book called Cherish with the story of Kanitha Fazing. I guess that's how you pronounce it. People call her Mint. She won a beauty pageant in Thailand, changed her life, film, advertising, television contracts. But what what made her internationally famous was this picture right here. When she honored at the feet of her trash collector mom, right in front of the trash cans. Because that's what her mom did to raise her kids. She would scour the trash, find things that were sellable, and sell them. And when Mint got back from her wind, still dressed in her gown, her tiara, and her sash, she went and looked for her mom, who was there at her job, and bowed at her feet to honor her mom. And this picture blew people away. Without shame, Mint talked about the honorable profession of her mom that kept her kids like her from starvation, her commitment and her care. That's cool. And that's cherish. 
She didn't just give her mom a shout out on her Instagram page or send her a thank you card or give her a real careful hug so as not to get her dress dirty. She just dropped to her knees right there in front of the trash cans and bowed to a woman in plastic shoes. Respect, adoration, gratitude, honor, going out of her way to show respect, adoration, gratitude, and honor. She believed it in her mind. She felt it in her heart, and she did her best to express it physically. She expressed it physically because that's what Cherish does. Now, we're in week three of a series we're calling Love Handles. Love Handles is not about these. I've got some good ones. I'm good at that. It's about how a God-honoring love handles tough stuff. And we're focusing specifically on marriage. Principles that go beyond marriage, but our focus is on marriage. To have and to hold from this day forward. How does a God-honoring love have and hold? For better, for worse, rich or poor, sickness and in health, how does a God-honoring love persevere through good times and bad times? To love and to cherish. What's the difference? What does it even mean? And finally, forsaking all others, keeping only to you for as long as we both shall live. That's next week when we wrap up this series. To love and to cherish. Now, we pastors usually focus on the love part because people in our world are so confused, so mussed up about what love is, the real kind of love that will sustain a marriage. Most people in our world, probably most people in this room, think the kind of love that is needed is a feeling. You've either got it or you don't. You fall into love or you don't fall into love. You may fall out of love. But the most powerful kind of love is not a feeling. A feeling love will not hold a marriage together. Sometimes we pastors, when we're talking about this stuff, go back to the New Testament and look for some of the Greek words that were used for love. Because they used three of them. They actually had four. And they all expressed a different kind of love. There's eros. It's a word we get from which we get the word erotic. It's a sensual love, romance, passion. There's philia, which is a friendship love. That's when you stand side by side with somebody and tackle a project together. You're partners. It's a friendship love. And then you've got storge, which is the kind of love you feel for kind of a weird aunt or uncle, right? Or kids when they're ornery. It's a family love that we've got inside of us. And then there's agape. That word wasn't used very often in the Greek world until the Christians came along. And we took that one over to express the deepest kind of love there is. It's an unconditional love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a choice. It's the kind of love that holds a marriage together. Not eros, philia, or storge. It's agape. Selfless. Unconditional. Self-sacrificing. It's not really a feeling. It's a choice. We choose agape whether the person we love is lovable or not. It's the kind of love that God has for you and me. An unconditional love, a sacrificial love. The Bible says God is agape. He is that kind of love, which means that God will never, ever, ever not love you because it's an unconditional, sacrificial kind of love. It's the kind of love that holds a marriage together, the kind of love that never quits. It's the kind of love that takes over when the other kinds fade for a time, and they always do. Well, that's the love part. That's not where I want to go this morning. What's cherish mean? In fact, what's the difference between the two? They're not synonyms, are they? What's the difference between love and cherish? 
And can you promise to cherish? If you promise, you can promise an agape love, not the others. Can you promise to cherish? And what if this cherish really is a difference maker? What if it is transformational? It can transform your marriage relationally, spiritually, emotionally, and even physically. What if it can do that? Listen, guys, you don't park a brand new 2008 Honda Ridgeline on a manure pile. Wouldn't bother me in the least right now. Still love my truck, but I love it with an agape love. Selfless, unconditional kind of love. But I don't really cherish it anymore. In fact, I haven't, I should say, I hadn't washed it in months. But when I was here at the church yesterday, there were a bunch of our seniors from Franklin County washing cars out there, and they wanted my money, so they washed my car, right? <laughs> I don't often invite people to ride in my truck because it's dirty inside and out. And the back seat, well, goodness gracious, good luck getting in. The way we treat something, the way we treat someone is evidence of whether we cherish it really or not. Words without actions in this one are meaningless. To cherish something is to go out of your way to show it off, to protect it, to honor it. We want others to see, to recognize, to affirm the value and honor of what we see. We want to protect them physically, emotionally, spiritually. We want to protect their reputation, their happiness, their joy. If it's a person that we're cherishing, we want to treat them with tenderness. We want to look for ways to build them up. We even want to try to indulge them occasionally, to do things that are going to bring a smile to their face and a laugh. In his book called Cherish, Gary Thomas actually compares love and cherish by comparing the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, with kind of the love manual, which is the Song of Solomon. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about agape. That's the whole theme of the, of, of the chapter. Song of Solomon is kind of like a Hallmark movie or a, or a Lifetime movie on steroids, right? At least that's what it was back then. It doesn't work as well today. In fact, if you read through the Song of Solomon, you'll find out some of the tactics they used. I just don't think work quite as well. You might want to write these down. These are biblical pickup lines, okay? Here they are, biblical pickup lines. Try this one out on the love of your life. Your hair falls in waves like flocks of goats frisking across the slopes of Gilead. Now, you're chuckling, but it got me a second date with Julie, okay? <laughs> it did. Or try this one. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from washing. Each has its twin. That's so cool. Not one of them is alone. She is hot. She's got all of her teeth. <laughs> or look at this one. Your breasts are like twin fawns of a gazelle. They're cute little things. Feeding among the lilies. That one got me smacked hard. Or this one, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, looking toward Damascus. It's from the Bible. It might work, guys. Go ahead. Give it a shot. One more. You're tall and slim like a palm tree. I'm going to climb up into the palm tree and take hold of its branches. Holy cow. You got to laugh at that one, right? And, and, and ladies can use it too. <laughs> this stuff... <laughs> This stuff is free. It's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Gary Thomas contrasts the love of 1 Corinthians 13 with the cherish of the Song of Solomon. Listen to the difference. Love, agape, is patient and kind, which means it's gracious, 
It's mannered. It's selfless. Cherish. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume is more fragrant than spices because cherish is entranced. It's enthralled. It's captivated. Love. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. It tends to be quiet, minimalist, understated. Cherish. <laughs> My lover is dark and dazzling. Better than 10,000 others. It boasts loudly, boldly. Agape love, love is not proud. Love is not self-seeking. Cherish, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is pleasant. Your faces love me. You just blow me away. Cherish celebrates. Agape love does not delight in evil, which is cool. Never looks for the worst in somebody, and that's huge. Cherish celebrates, looks for a way to celebrate the best in somebody. How beautiful you are. How beautiful you are, my darling, honey bunch, baby cakes, cuddle muffin, snuggie bear, angel baby, right? Well, how beautiful you are. That's cherish. Agape love. Agape love puts up with a lot. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Cherish enjoys in the moment. His mouth is sweetness in itself. He's desirable in every way. Such, O oh, women of Jerusalem, is my lover, my friend. She's just bragging all over him. Isn't that cool? Agape love is about commitment. I mean, I, I, I make a promise and I keep my word. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Cherish is about passion, desire, delight. How pleasing is your fragrance. You smell so good. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. It's no wonder that all of the young women love you. Julie uses that one on me all the time. <laughs> Listen, guys, love and cherish don't compete. A healthy, God-honoring marriage requires both of them. They complement each other, they complete each other, and they are both, listen, this is so important, you got to hear this, they are both a choice. If you're not loving, you have chosen not to love. If you're not cherishing, you have chosen not to cherish. They're both a choice. Love is the glue that holds a marriage together, cherishes what makes it sparkle, makes it fun. And it's a choice. Your spouse wants you to love him or her. And your spouse aches for something more than that. You promised to love and to cherish. Are you going to keep your promise? One guy that I read about asked seven of his friends, do your wives love you? Do they love you? Christian guys, I believe they had Christian wives, and every one of them said, yeah, they love me. Then he asked him a follow-up question. He says, do your, front, do, your, do your wives like you? Every one of them said no. They're normal. Now the stuff I'm going to talk about is not just for the newlyweds out there. In fact, it's going to bite a whole lot harder on those of us who've been married for decades. And it's not just for the Jesus followers, although for us it's really not an option. This is how we live as Jesus followers. But it's going to work for you if you're not a Jesus follower yet. And it's for those of you who are not married right now. If you're ever going to think about marriage, you need to listen. If there are people you care about who are married, you need to listen. 
In fact, these ideas do carry over to some degree to relationships outside of marriage. And there's one more caveat. Listen, guys. This morning, I am not talking to the person sitting next to you. Don't worry about whether they hear it or not. I'm talking to you. You listen for yourself. You let God deal with the person sitting next to you. No elbows this morning. No thinking to yourself, I hope he's listening. I hope she hears this. Here it is. Exactly like love, cherish is a choice. There are times when it's going to be easy, and there's going to be times when it is really, really, really hard, but it's still a choice. It's not a feeling that comes over you and takes control. It's an attitude that you can learn and that you can cultivate. And you can learn to cultivate this cherish toward a very flawed spouse. In fact, they're the only kind you're ever going to find. With God's help, you can learn to cherish someone as flawed as you are. God does with you. And he can help you do that too. So how? Let's get down and practical. Did you know that there is in the brain something called a neuroplasticity? That's what they call it. You can look it up on the internet. You'll find a lot of articles on it. No matter how old you are, whether you're a youngster or whether you're old, there is this neuroplasticity to your brain, which means that your brain is literally being reshaped by your experiences. You're changing your brain through your experiences. If you do something over and over and over again, you're creating pathways, you're creating grooves in your brains. And if you repeat something often enough, it'll become natural to you. That's what it means. You didn't used to be that way, but you are now. I mean, have you ever repeated a thought or an action or an emotion enough that it actually reshapes how you think or what you do? We recreate ourselves because the small changes we make, if we repeat them often enough, transform our brains. Now, this neuroplasticity is on steroids with kids, right? Their brains are very, very plastic. But even we old guys do it. Not as easily. Our brains get hardened. We're more fixed in how we think and act. But we can do it too. When you're learning to play an instrument, at first you've got to think about every single movement that you're going to make. If you do it often enough, it becomes automatic. When you learn to play a sport, you practice over and over and over again exactly the same movement because you're trying to make it natural to you. You're not just training your body, you're reshaping your brain. That's what you're doing. Same principle applies to marriage. Guys, I think, you may push back a little, but I think everybody in this room is a bit of a barbarian. For a long time, I've called myself a barbarian with a very thin veneer of Christianity. And I'm not lying to you. There's a lot of self-centered in me, quite a bit of pride, some lust, some gluttony, some greed, some sloth, some wrath, some envy, all of those deadly sins. They're in me. They in you. So what do people like you and me do? to overcome all of that and learn to love and to cherish God's way. Because it's not going to happen by accident. It might happen periodically, accidentally, but I'm not going to become accidentally what God wants me to be, what I want me to be. It's going to take some work on my part. It's going to take a boatload of help on his part. 
it's not about doing what I feel, what I want. It's about choosing to do what is right a hundred times, a thousand times, ten thousand times until it becomes default. That's neuroplasticity. You can grow, cherish, you can plant it like a seed, you can fertilize it, you can weed around it until it literally changes who you are. And nobody in this room is too old for that to happen. In fact, I think this is the idea behind what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. This is what he says. He says, don't copy, which means you have a choice. Don't copy. Don't do it that way. Don't copy the behavior or the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Don't do it that way. You keep doing it his way, and God will change the way you think, and then you're going to learn to know God's will for you. Some people in a room like this are going to push back a little bit. You're going to be thinking to yourself, well, not me. What you see is what you get. This is who I am. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. This is how God made me. If you don't like what you see, blame him, not me. That is technically called poppycock. God will transform you if you cooperate. God does change you if you cooperate. You are not too old for God to transform you. Do you know why? Because he's God. So, let's get down in the dirt practical. How do you do it? And I'm just going to rush through some things right here. I'm actually going to steal eight of the strategies that he gives in this book, Cherish. This is Gary Thomas, ugly guy right here. Gary Thomas writes his book, Cherish. Great book. Chapter 11 is on basically the strategies of cherish. These are some things that you can do to choose to cherish your husband or your wife. I wish I had the time to unpack each one. I don't. I'm going to fly if you want more detail. We do have a couple copies of this book, I think, in our connections room, and we'll order more if you want us to. By the way, I'm going to go over way too much. You're not going to be able to remember all of this stuff. So as I'm going through this stuff, just pick one or two that you think might make a difference in your marriage. Pick one or two and work on that. Here's piece one. Use your mind to change your heart. Use your mind to change your heart. Let your heart follow your mind. Don't let your mind follow your heart. That's the way they tell us to get it done. It doesn't work that way as a man of God. He tells the story, Gary Thomas tells the story of a couple who gets into an elevator that he was in. And she reminds him, we need floor nine. And Thomas says that husband's all confused. He's looking at the keypad and he can't find that nine. And Gary is thinking to himself as he's watching, he says, it's between the eight and the ten, dork, right? Here's what the wife does. She smiles at him, squeezes his arm, kisses his shoulder, and then she says, you're still thinking about that deal, aren't you? Yeah. It'll work out. That's a woman. How many of you guys are masters of sarcasm and masters of ridicule? Okay? I'm better. Okay? I'm really good at it. Sometimes we need to bite our tongues. Sometimes instead of seizing the opening, seizing the opportunity to be sarcastic, we need to choose gentleness. Sometimes instead of assuming the worst, we need to look for the best. It's there. 
Did you know that that's really right out of our New Testament? The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, and he puts this verse in there. This is what God says to us through him. He says, fix your thoughts. That means you can choose what to think. Fix your thoughts. Put your brains on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. That's where you focus. Think about, which means you have a choice. You think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now that's countercultural, isn't it? What if you took that verse and just laid it over a marriage? You think it'd make a difference? Because here's what happens. If you choose to dwell on what is not honorable, on what is distasteful, frustrating, and shameful, deserving of your criticism, and you're going to find plenty of that in any marriage, your heart's going to follow. And if you choose to focus on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable in your spouse, and there's going to be plenty of that in her too, your heart's going to follow eventually. Use your mind to change your heart. Piece two, sacrifice for your spouse, sacrifice for him or for her. Have you ever noticed that the most patriotic people tend to be the vets, people who used to be soldiers? Because when you've sacrificed for a flag, maybe even risked your life for it, it makes that flag and what it represents more precious to you. Works the same with people. Those you sacrifice for tend to become more precious to you. Whether you and when you sacrifice for a spouse, whether it's your time, your energy, your comfort, even your safety, it's going to fuel your cherish. Because sacrifice shapes your heart. In that book, Gary Thomas tells about a middle-aged guy who loved craft beer. It was his hobby. And this guy traveled a whole lot for his job, so he was always near some local microbrewery. But he wouldn't go for this reason. He had promised his wife, I'm not going to drink when I'm not with you. Because he knew that drinking makes a person vulnerable when they're alone on the road. His promise, his sacrifice shaped his heart, whereas drinking might make him forget who he was. Not drinking helped him remember his wife. He chose to cherish through sacrifice. Hmm. Piece three, I love this one. Hug a lot. I didn't used to like that. When I, when I came out this part of the country, I didn't like people hugging me. But I'm telling you guys, I hate what this Me Too world is doing to us. It's making us afraid to touch each other even innocently. And people need to be touched innocently, lovingly, especially a husband or a wife. And so many people, even in this room, are starving emotionally because all they get is an occasional handshake, maybe a peck on the cheek or a fist bump. And go online and just Google the power of touch. Just Google the power of touch and see the stuff that pops up. Do you know that babies, you've heard this, you know this, babies can wither if they're not touched, right? Do you know adults can too? Some of you guys, even in your marriages, you're killing each other because you don't touch each other lovingly. Research shows that when there's more healthy touch during childhood, the rates of adult physical violence go down. Research shows that even an incidental touch can lower your blood pressure 
<laughs> a good cuddle drains away stress. Did you know that? Research shows that 20 seconds of healthy touch, touching is going to trigger the release of oxytocin, a cuddle chemical. A good hug, back rub, holding hands, sex will build a sense of connectedness and trust. Research shows that touch, healthy touch, makes people nicer, makes people easier to work with, and a boatload of other things. Just read the articles. It's amazing. Bottom line, don't deprive your partner of the gift of healthy touch. It's how they were wired by God. And it's part of cherish. So hold each other's hands, scratch each other's backs, cuddle. This one's just for the married folks. Play around. And it's part of cherish. And it's a choice we make. And it reshapes the brain. And it transforms a marriage. Piece four. I'm going to have to fly. They hate it when I go too long. Again, if you want more on these, go online, read the book. I think we do have a couple of copies for sale. But number four is need your spouse. Need them. And let them know it. I know sometimes ladies like to be treated like a porcelain doll, put up on a pedestal, and for a little bit, that's okay. But I'm talking about way more than that. God gave Adam a helper. That's what he called Eve when he created her, a helper suitable for him. And if you don't see her as a helper, and ladies, if you don't see him as a helper, a partner, a colleague, he or she will never feel cherished. God didn't create Eve simply because Adam was lonely. He needed a helper because God made you ladies better at some things we're not as good at. And God made us guys better at some things you ladies are not as good at. And we need to be needed. He made us to need each other. Need your spouse. Piece five. This one may be the weirdest to some of you, but it's true. Think of your spouse as royalty. As royalty. Because he is a prince. And she is a princess. You married a royal. You had a royal wedding. I mean, some girls grow up thinking about being a princess and having a royal wedding, right? Some ladies never outgrow that fantasy. What you don't realize is that if you are married, it has already happened. On day six of the creation story, God creates Adam and Eve. They're the royal couple, and he gives them sovereignty. He made them king and queen over the earth. And you're their kin. You are God's special possession. You're God's kids. I love the Chronicles of Narnia, and for one of the reasons I love it is that, is that C.S. Lewis calls the children, Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy, he calls them sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, the rightful rulers of Narnia. Under Aslan, of course. Because they are. You are. Now listen, we don't always act that way. But when a prince misbehaves, he's still a prince. He still has a dad who expects his kid to be treated well, ladies. Like every dad should. So be careful how you treat him. When a princess misbehaves, she's still a princess. And she still has a dad who expects his daughter to be treated well. Like any dad should. So be careful, guys. Never forget whose kid you married. Think of your spouse as royalty. Don't forget that. He never will. Piece six. 
If you can make your spouse's dreams come true, do it. Now, I know that usually this cherish is built by a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand little affirmations which gradually reshape our brain. But sometimes you need to go big. Do you know what your spouse's dreams are? And is it possible over time that you can make any of them come true, even if it takes a decade or two? And it's not usually something material. There was a, a study that was done at San Francisco State University sometime back that discovered that most people think that if you spend money on physical stuff, it's better spent than money spent on experiences. Makes more sense. But in reality, they discovered that experiences lead to way more happiness than stuff. A meal out, a movie, a bed and breakfast, theater tickets, a vacation, a trip. I've been terrible at those things. But they satisfy a higher order of needs. So if you can, every once in a while, make one of your spouse's dreams come true, even if it takes you years to prepare. It's a boatload of cherish. Piece seven, almost done. Watch him. Watch her. And delight. Every once in a while, guys, step back and watch her again. I mean, we tend to get so accustomed to their presence that we don't watch, watch anymore. Ladies, you do the same. You get so accustomed to his presence, you don't really watch. You don't really see. We're so familiar that we no longer appreciate and enjoy and applaud Last piece, and this one's huge, number eight, conserve your energy. What that means is this. Have you ever been caught up in something that's kind of little, and because you're caught up in the little, you neglect the big? You ever do that? You ever gotten so caught up in a book or a game that you neglect your work? It's one of the reasons I don't like reading novels during the week because I tend to get sucked into a novel and I neglect other things that are more important. You ever get caught up in a sport to the degree that you neglect your God and your church? You ever get so caught up in your job that you neglect your spouse, your kids? This happens a lot with addictions. It's kind of the nature of an addiction. You get caught up in porn or drugs or alcohol and because you're obsessed by those things, you neglect things that are way more important than they are your job, your family, and your God. But this isn't just about addictions to bad things, guys. You've seen wives who get so caught up in their kids that they neglect their husbands. Shouldn't do that. You've seen husbands and wives who get so caught up in their jobs that they neglect their families. You've seen guys and ladies who get so caught up in a hobby, a gym, a sport, that their lives get so out of balance and their lives get so God-dishonoring. I've seen pastors get caught up in building a church to the neglect of their families. Sounds so holy. I've seen so many guys get caught up in computer games that they dishonor their families and their God. None of those latter things are in themselves bad. They're all gifts. They're all cool. But it can sap your energy so that you have no energy left over for the more important things. And as Jesus followers, we can't let that happen. If you are a Jesus follower, here are your priorities. They're set for us. God is one in everything. God is first. Spouse is two, if you're married. Spouse is number two. If you have kids, they're number three. 
and then whatever else down the line. So are you conserving enough energy for the things that you call your greatest priorities? The most important things in your life. If you're not, your priorities are out of whack. If you're going to cherish a spouse, are you conserving enough energy that you can honor and cherish her? All right. I don't have time to wrap this stuff up right, so I'm just going to leave you with this. You can't cherish by accident. It's something you do and you do over again and you keep on doing intentionally until it shapes who you are. Keep cherishing up here till it's rooted here and eventually it'll just define you. It'll become your default. And when that happens, if you do it right, you will become more like him. That's how he is with us. If you're married, you probably made this promise or something close to it. To have and to hold from this day forward, right? For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. And forsaking all others, keeping only to you for as long as both of you will live. I promise. I promise. We're Christians. We keep our promises. We love and we cherish. I've talked about eight different ways. It's way too many to work on. I suggest you find one or two of these. One or two. Which one or two of these things can make a difference in your relationship? Maybe what you need to do is ask your spouse, which one of the two of these things do you think you guys need to work on together? It might surprise you. Now, guys, we're going to sing a song of worship. But before we do that, I'm just going to put a couple of questions up on the screen. I'd like you to look at them for a minute. Do you love God? Would you say you love God? Follow-up question is, do you like him? Think of those guys that were asked that question. I think a whole lot more people would say I love him than would say I like him. You're afraid not to love him, but a lot of people don't like him. You know why you don't like him? Because you don't know him. How about the second one? Does God love you? Do you think he loves you? I think a whole lot more people in this room would admit that than the other one. Does he like you? Do you think God likes you? Huh. Uh, maybe he tolerates me, puts up with me until he can fix me. Right? That's how we tend to think. Does he like you? Let me tell you guys. I've got kids. I love my kids. I even like my kids, which is weird, isn't it? I got grandkids. I love them a whole lot more than I love my kids. Right? And I like them a whole lot more than I like my kids. And my grandkids are way more flawed. All right? You can do that. But your love and your like is not a shadow of the way that he loves and likes you. He adores you. He loves you and he adores you. When you get that, it'll change your life and it'll transform how you treat each other. Okay? Let's stand and sing together.